Has anyone ever wondered why you were put on this earth? Ever just been sitting around saying, why am I here? To serve as a warning to others. Okay. <laughs> that is one way to look at it, yes. We, we, um, because we're supposed to learn from the mistakes of others, and I've made a lot of those. I tell my son, you know, dude, I can tell you all about mistakes. Don't make the same ones I made. Make some new ones, you know. Learn some different things. It's wise to learn from, from others. Well, in Ephesians 2.10, God tells us why we're here. And uh, I think you have this on the, on the uh, screen up here. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I want you to notice that that word workmanship. God made you to make a contribution, not just to consume. God made you to make a difference in this world. What matters is not how long you live, but how you live. What matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life. You with me? Not the duration, because you could live a hundred years and not make any significant, significant contribution to this society. You could live 20 years and impact the world. So it's the, it's the donation of your life. Now, if that's true, then we've got to understand that whenever God gives us an assignment uh, to do something, He never gives us that assignment without equipping us first. We're starting a whole new series today called Know Your Shape. And um, when, when Job was talking to God, he said... Your hands shaped me and made me. And we're going to take that word shape and we're going to use that term shape as an acronym. At New Life, we believe that God uses five things to shape you into the person that he wants you to be so that you make it the maximum contribution in this world. He uses your spiritual gifts, your heart, abilities, personality and experiences. Now, today we're going to look at the first two of those spiritual gifts and heart. And in the weeks to come, we're going to look at those other things. Those five things make you who you are. And God uniquely shapes you different from anyone else in the world for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve him. Now, um, have you ever given your children some gifts that didn't that they didn't play with very long? Some toys? I mean, Christmas, how many of your kids are still playing with the toys from Christmas? They're still fascinated by those toys. Let me see your hands. (laughs) One. Jeff, what'd you give your son? Your 19-year-old son. Yeah, okay. So, so Nathan is still fascinated with those. But what happens is they'll get these toys and for a moment they are the greatest gifts they've ever received for about 10 minutes. You know, and usually then they start playing with the box that it came in and that becomes more fascinating than the toy. And, and in a way, that's what happens with spiritual gifts. A lot of folks either know their gift and they, they don't know what to do with that gift. They don't know how to use it. Some of them don't know their gifts. Um, and, and others know their gifts and they're using those. And so there's a ton of confusion about spiritual gifts in the Christian world today. So we're going to be looking at that to try to clear up some of that confusion. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12.1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, the Bible's not calling us stupid. There's a difference in stupidity and ignorance. Ignorance means that you are just unaware And I would say that most people in churches that I've been a part of are unaware of what spiritual gifts are, what they mean, how you use them, how you discover them. And we've got to do something about that. The whole purpose of this series in our 301 class, which is coming up on February 19th, the purpose of these things is to help you not be ignorant about spiritual gifts because you are valuable in God's kingdom and God wants you to make a difference. Now, let's talk about a couple of things real quickly. Number one, who receives spiritual gifts? The only people that receive spiritual gifts are Christians. That's your first blank on your listening guide. Christians. 
First Corinthians two fourteen says people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because um, because only those who have the spirit can understand what the spirit means. So this means that there is no capacity in a non-Christian to understand the spiritual things that come from God. You must have the Holy Spirit living inside you um, before you can receive a, a, a spiritual gift. So here's how we're going to illustrate this today. This suitcase represents people. Now, every person is a creation of God, but not every person is a child of God. You must make a choice to become a a follower of Christ. You must choose to ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and be the leader of your life. When you do that, then you can have some spiritual capacity. Because here's here's what it looks like. On the inside of someone who does not know Christ, the Bible says that they are actually dead spiritually. And what needs to happen for somebody who's dead spiritually is they need to be made alive. And the way the Bible talks about that is you are born again into the kingdom of God. You're born physically to your physical family. You're born spiritually to your spiritual family. Now, what happens whenever you make the choice to ask Christ to come into your life, then I'm going to use this cross to represent the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside your life. And the reason I use this cross is because a Christian actually means, the term means, little Christ. We should begin to resemble our Father in heaven. So when you ask Christ to come into your life, then here is the cross. This represents Christ. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and gives you the capacity to understand spiritual things. Now, you don't understand. Does a newborn baby understand quantum physics in his first year? No. Neither does a spiritual Christian who is really a spiritual baby. It has nothing to do with your chronological age. It's talking about your spiritual age. You do not have the capacity to understand the deepest things about the the spiritual world. But when you ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life, then he gives you spiritual capacity and you begin to grow as you make yourself available to God. You do that through studying your Bible. We did 201 class just last week and and we talk about studying your Bible on a daily basis. And that's like feeding spiritually. And then you come to church and, and you get in a small group and you begin to grow spiritually and your understanding of spiritual things begins to grow. But the really cool thing is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just come and take up residence and give you spiritual understanding. That would be great. That would be the the reason enough to, to ask God to come into your life. But when the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in you, he also brings at least one, usually more than one housewarming gift to you. He brings these gifts and he puts them in your life. And then part of what you're supposed to do, your spiritual understanding is you're supposed to discover that gift and then begin using it in the church. Now, we're going to talk about how you understand that gift and how you discover that in just a minute. Um, So you see the difference in a Christian and a non-Christian. A non-Christian does not have God's spirit living in them. A non-Christian does not have a spiritual gift because they come from God. And every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Now, number two, what are the spiritual gifts? Well, (laughs) you're going to like this answer. They're numerous. Let me just give you some of them that are listed in in the Bible. Wise counsel, clear understanding, knowledge, faith, healing the sick, miraculous acts, prophecy, distinguishing between good and evil spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostle, teachers, miracle workers, helpers, leaders. Those are all in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 4, they add a couple more evangelist, pastor, as well as repeating some of those. You go over into 1 Peter chapter 4, there's also adding hospitality and service. Now, no single list in the Bible is exactly the same. And I think that's because no single gift, uh, no single list um, has every type of spiritual gift that there is. 
In the Old Testament, there's also things mentioned like music and craftsmanship that God specifically gifted someone to do a work at a specific time. And so here's the key to that is no single Christian has every spiritual gift. Um, and, and not every gift is given to any one person. And uh, spiritual gifts help determine what you do in the church. All right, you might want to write that down. Spiritual gift helps you determine what you do in the church. Now, number three, where do spiritual gifts come from? This is real important. If you were just a guessing person, where do you think spiritual gifts come from? God, God, there you go. Comes from God. And let me show you where we get that. First Corinthians 12, 6. We can each do different things, yet the same God works in all of us and helps us do everything we do. First Peter 4:10. Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. God can give any spiritual gift to any person he chooses at any time he chooses. You don't get to get your little shopping cart and go through the Bible and say, oh, I want that gift. I want that gift. I want that gift. God, give it to me. No, it doesn't work that way. God chooses what to give you in your life. It's up to him. Spiritual gifts are God's idea. They're free. They're they are gifts. That means you can do nothing to earn a spiritual gift. And that's in Ephesians 4, 7. Now, number four, why are spiritual gifts important? Why are they important? Because they help the body of Christ grow. They help the body grow. They're important because as you and I use our spiritual gifts, then this church begins to grow. And amazing things happen the more people that are involved in ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, The Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Notice those words, the entire church. The whole reason I'm supposed to use my gift is to help you. Now, Back to the suitcase illustration. God's gift comes to you and we're supposed to use that. When I open my life and I ask God to come in, he brings that that gift and um, and he wants me to use that to serve you. Now, I put a couple of gifts in here. Generally, you have more than one gift, but know you have at least one. And if it's given to you by God, the father, that gift is just as important as any other gift in in, uh, scripture or in the church. And here's what we say at New Life. We say that everyone is a 10 in some area. Every member is a minister. Every person is a 10 in some area of giftedness. And if we don't do what God has called us to do, then then people suffer. Many folks never open their gift. They never discover that. And if I were to bring you a Christmas gift or a, um, a birthday gift and you never unwrap it, does that gift do any good for you? No. You don't know what it is. It doesn't do you any good. It's not being used for its purpose. And that's what happens in the in the Christian life. Now, what does it matter if you don't use your gift? Well, we uh, we decided to show you just a little bit of what happened, what might happen if I don't use my gift. Watch this video. Nine minutes to go. I, shoot. I guess I guess I better start typing sermon. Um, thou shalt thou not kill or. Oh man, this isn't work. Come on, come on, come on. Commentary. Uh, Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. Um, Got to help me out. I, I've been busy this week. Um, come on, come on. Lord, oh, oh, what was that, that guy, I just learned this at a conference, um, if you have eyes 
plagiarize. Oh, five minutes left. Oh, um, I'll go online. That's what I'll do. I'll go online. Yeah. Easy button. What's this? Oh, glory to God. There it is. Oh, this, this is like the, bre- the best sermon ever. Oh, praise the Lord. I saw the light. Honey, honey, come here. you got to see this. This is going to help your cooking. Okay. I told her that was Alex's idea. By the way, she wouldn't come in the room. She was not pleased with that comment. I said, baby, everybody knows you're a good cook. It's just we try to make people laugh. Um, and she knows that. Now, you've got to understand this point. God made you unique, uh, and your uniqueness is not for your benefit. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Your talents are not for your benefit. Your spiritual gifts are not for your benefit. God has given you everything you have, your talents, your abilities, your experiences, your personality, for one purpose, and that's to serve others. There are two specific groups of people that suffer if you do not use your spiritual gift. The first person that suffers is you. Because you are not stretched and you will never become the person God wants you to be if you don't use your spiritual gift, if you don't know what that is. The second group of people that's that's harmed if you don't use your gift is others. The other people in the body of Christ who are supposed to receive what God has given you. Well, then that brings another question real quickly. When do I find out my spiritual gifts? When you get involved in ministry. That's when you discover your spiritual gifts, when you get involved in ministry. It's easier to discover your, your ministry... Um, your gift through your ministry than to discover your ministry through your gift. Do any of you remember the first time? I mean, you may not have played baseball, but you've been around. Um, I remember the first time I played baseball. Back when I was playing, you didn't start until you were eight years old. Now, Caleb's been playing since he was four, and you don't play very well at four, but you start much earlier. When I started at eight years old in my hometown, I got to the first practice late, and the only position that was open was right field. And so coach sent me out into right field and, and we just started practicing, you know, it was pretty boring out there. I hated it. And he'd hit a few balls and I could catch and I could throw. And all of a sudden he said, hey, man, come in, come into the infield. And I thought infield was pretty cool because then you got more action and he'd move me around different places. And uh, it found out that I was an infielder and let me play there. But at the end of practice, what happened was coach made every player on the team come up and throw about 15 or 20 pitches just to see if we had anybody who could come close to getting it over the plate. And I threw about 10 of those 15 pitches over the plate. And he turns to my dad and he goes, he's starting the first game. Now, we got into this late, so the first game was like three practices in. And he's like, he's starting the first game. And I'm like, oh, wow, eight years old. I never would have discovered that I had that ability had I not been willing to try different things, if the coach hadn't been willing to try different things. And it ended up I was a decent pitcher, pitched all the way through high school, through my senior year in high school, played baseball, loved baseball. And, uh, but I never would have discovered those things if I hadn't tried different things. When I first got into ministry, I sang. I was 17 years old at a youth camp when I felt God was calling me to ministry. Only thing I knew how to do was sing, and so I thought, okay, I'll be a music minister. Because that's all I knew how to do. I went to college and I studied church music. I, I was a, a vocal major in, in church music and, and uh, learned how to do conducting. And I, I served as youth minister and music minister in little Baptist churches and and thought, okay, God, this is what I'm going to do. The rest of my life, I'm, I'm going to spend in, in music ministry. And you know how I got my... I, I said, God, I'll, I'll sing for you all you want me to, but I will never preach. 
And uh, you know how I got my start in preaching was I was 19 years old, first church, and my pastor was going to be out of town. And he asked me, you know, if you ask people far enough in advance, they'll do just about anything. He said, Doug, I'm going to be gone in six months. Would you preach for me? And I was like, oh, sure, I'll preach for you. And then, you know, procrastination set in. And so about a couple of weeks before I was supposed to preach, I was like, oh, no, I can sing, but I've never preached. And I'm calling my older brother and go, man, you, you used a verse. What was that? And I'm studying. I'm going to the library, pulling out all the stuff at Baylor Library and just studying. I'm, I'm worked up over this deal. Some of my friends at Baylor find out that I'm going to be preaching. And so like 10 of my friends come for my first sermon. I'm just kind of freaking out. And uh, I didn't do too badly. I didn't screw it up too badly. So my pastor gave me another opportunity. And through the years, while I was youth minister at all these different churches around Texas, my, my pastors would start to let me preach. And I kind of liked it. And people would say, hey, that wasn't bad. <laughs> I didn't fall asleep while you were talking. I thought, OK, that's a good sign. And, and hopefully 22 years later in ministry, I'm a better preacher today than I was then. But again, if somebody hadn't given me the opportunity, I never would have discovered that. And so the, the, the key point here is you've got to get involved in ministry and then God wants you to develop whatever your spiritual gift is. And you may only find that through experimentation. Now, we're going to have some homework for you each week that we do this, this course, uh, this series. And then when we get to class 301, I'm just going to be real honest. And I'm going to say this again next week. We've got a lot of folks that are sick and out today. But if you don't do the homework before you come, don't bother to come to class 301 because you're going to be wasting your time and you're going to be wasting our time as well. We're going to look at um, a, a spiritual gifts assessment. And I, and I give this disclaimer when we take this little spiritual gifts test. There is no standardized test that can tell every Christian in the world what their spiritual gift is. So just get over that. This is just something that gives you a little bit of hint of where you might be gifted. But we're also going to look at in just a minute, we're going to look at your heart, your passion areas, and we're going to try to narrow down where God might be calling you uh, to be involved in ministry. So here's the deal. There are four E's that you need to be um, that, that need to be in your life when it comes to spiritual gifts. What do you do now? Four E's. Number one, experiment through doing ministry. Experiment. Um, the only way you may find out whether you're good at something is just to give it a try. Your primary ministry commitment should be in the area where um, where you're gifted. Your secondary ministry ought to be in an area where you're needed. <laughs> the, the thing that we say around here is to apply your heart and your hands to the place of greatest demand. You know, if, if there is a dike that is about to give way and there's a little leak and we need somebody to stand there with their finger in that dike, we don't need somebody to say, oh, I'm not gifted to stick my finger in that dike. And we're like, OK, if you don't, then this whole thing's going under. So, like, you need to get gifted real quick in this area. And all you got to do is be available. And so there are areas of ministry around here that we need people in. And then you pray that God will give you another area of service that, that more uh, closely matches your gifting. The next E is examine your feelings when you are ministering. Examine your feelings when you're ministering. When you're in an area, if you, because there's some stuff, I go home, I am just pumped up after I do it. I can't go to sleep. I love to preach. I love to teach. That's my primary gifting area. When I'm doing things that I'm gifted to do, it gives me energy. It does not burn me out. When I get burned out is when I'm doing stuff that God has not called me to do. The most frustrating thing in the world is to be in a church where people are teaching who do not have the gift of, of teaching. People who are leading who do not have the gift of leadership. You all have been, whether it's in a church or whether it's in another organization, you have been places where people do not have those gifts, are in places of leadership. And what does it do to a class or to a church? Hello. 
It kills it. If you do not have the gift, you know it and everybody in the class knows it. So we might as well say, okay, let's find somebody else. Let's ask God to to raise up somebody who is gifted in this area. That's the way God designed the church. He loves the church and all of us have a part to play. And when we play our parts, we get energized and the body of Christ is built up for the glory of God. That's what happens. The next E is evaluate your effectiveness. You know whether you stink or not. If you don't, ask a friend who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Don't ask somebody that you know is just afraid to hurt your feelings. Ask somebody that you know well who will say, Man, I love you. Don't ever do that again. It was painful. We, we love watching American Idol. And uh, they've been showing a whole lot of the bad stuff this year. And, and Simon even said, he goes, man, there's a lot more bad people this year. And uh, man, Simon is just ruthless. But he's actually doing the people a favor. He's telling them to. You got, he'll stop them sometimes and say, that was the worst thing, it's like a cross between a whale and an elephant in heat, you know, or something like that. And, uh, and they get their feelings hurt, but he's like, don't ever do that again publicly. And if we really cared about our churches, we would say that to some individuals in a loving way. Not in front of a group, but we'd pull them aside and say, I love you and I want you to succeed. Um, let's, let's find another area where, where I know God has given you more ability than that one. And number four, expect confirmation from the church. This ought to be the clearest picture for you. If you're doing something and nobody ever tells you you've done it well, then you need to start looking in the mirror and say, God, maybe this isn't my area. If you have to go ask somebody in order to get a compliment about what you're doing, then that's a good indication that you're probably not in your area of of giftedness. Because when when you do something that God has called you to do, the body, the church comes up and says, that was cool. That was awesome. So think about those four things. We're going to sing a little bit and then we'll talk about your heart and your passion. You ever heard a band that's not uh, gifted to play? It's painful, isn't it? It makes a difference when someone is gifted by God to do something. It adds to the church, right? And, and I love I come up here on Wednesday nights and I'll be vacuuming. That's my instrument. I play now while while they're going, because I just quite honestly, I like being here while they're playing. I get to singing. I'm, I'm cleaning toilets and I'm singing back there because just something about having somebody gifted. Even in rehearsal just lifts my spirit. And so when you are in your area of gifting, it gives encouragement to other people and it builds up the body of Christ. And that's why that's one of the purposes that you are alive to come to know God and then to serve God and his people. And there is nothing like it when you're serving in your area of giftedness. Now, I got to ask another question. Is there anybody here who was considered an accident by their parents? This is my hand because my dad was 42 and my parents, my mom was 38 and, you know, my brothers are 14, 12 years older than me. My sister's seven years older than me. And my dad, I mean, this is, this is the truth. I asked my dad one time, dad, you know, do you and mom plan me? I knew the answer, but he goes, son, we didn't think the equipment still worked. And, I, you know, I wasn't real smart, but I, I got the feeling that, you know, I wasn't planned. And uh... now your parents may not have planned you, but God did. 
Now, there are illegitimate relationships, but there is no such thing as an illegitimate child. And I'll, I'll get on the soapbox real quickly about that. Because the Bible tells us in, in Psalm 139 that God knits us together in our mother's womb. And He gives us natural abilities. And then when we become a Christian, He gives us supernatural abilities. That God forms us in our mother's womb and He has a purpose in forming us. And you know... Um, The local church is the place where God wants you to discover and develop your gifts and become a family with other people. And I want you to remember this, and I'm going to say this for three weeks, and then I'm going to say it again when we get into class 301. Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he said, I will build my church. He had promised he would build his church. He never promised he would build anyone's ministry. You may have a ministry that is outside the local church, and glory to God if you're doing something like that. And you're bringing people, you know, whether that's food or, or comfort or, or any of those things. Glory to God for that. But Jesus never said he would build ministry. He said, I gave my life to build the church. You know, in the Garden of Eden, God established the, the physical family when he made Adam and Eve. And then when Jesus Christ came, he came to establish the spiritual family. And the church is the bride of Christ. And don't ever tell me that you're going to get close to Jesus if you do not like his bride. Don't come to me and expect to get close to me if you say, Doug, I like you, but I can't stand your wife. We're going to have trouble. And there's a lot of people that can't stand the bride of Christ. Well, that means you don't like Jesus because the two don't go to. I mean, you've got to have one with the other. And, and then there's a lot of people that are casually dating the bride of Christ. You will not become the person that God wants you to be. And you will not make the impact for eternity if you're casually dating the bride of Christ. Now, I'll get off that soapbox and go to the next thing. The next part of shape that we're going to look at is called heart. The Bible uses the term heart to represent the center of your motivation, desires and interests. Your heart is the real you. And since God created you and knows you better than you know yourself, he knows what will give your life true meaning and purpose. In, in Psalm 37, 4, one of my life verses, do what the Lord wants and he will give you your heart's desire. So you get it. You, you obey first and then God will give you your heart's desire. I could not imagine 22 years ago preaching. That was like the furthest thing from it. And I, I had that syndrome that a lot of people do that. Oh, I am not giving my heart to God because then he'll make me go to Africa. God will just punish me. God doesn't want me to have any fun in life. And so I'm not uh -uh, I'm going to live my life. But the thing is, you do not understand the love of Jesus Christ if you have that uh, type of understanding, because when God saves you and he's designed you and he knows you, he's going to give you a ministry that you love to do. And, and so my whole life is wrapped up in building this church, raising my children. Alex brought me a, a picture last week, brought Jane and me a picture. All three of my children have now been baptized. Hannah was baptized last week. We have this little picture, Caleb and Rachel and Hannah, and it's on our mantle because Janie and I, long before we had children, we said, whatever we do, our kids have to know Jesus. And now the rest of our life, we want to build a church that my children fall in love with. When they graduate from high school, if they move on you know, from here, or they go to junior college, whatever, I want my kids to, to be in love with the local church. Whether they serve... As vocational ministers, I don't give a rip about that, but they've got to be involved in a local church or I will feel that I have failed in raising my children. And the other purpose of my life is to build a church to reach people who are far from God. I want anybody to be able to walk in here, whether they've got church background, or not whether they hate church or not, to be able to come in here and understand the message and understand that God wants more for their life than what they're experiencing right now. That's why I exist now. 
I want you to understand that when we're talking about heart, another term for heart is passion. And uh, your, your heart or your passion determines why you say the things you do. It determines why you feel the way you do, why you act the way you do. Physiologically, we each have a unique heartbeat. Each person's heart, that means, beats in a slightly different pattern than anyone else in the world. And God has also given us a unique emotional heartbeat. There are certain things that we hear about that our heart beats a little bit faster. There are other things we hear about and we couldn't care less about those things. God wired you in a way that you care about certain things. The worst thing in the world would be that if everybody in this church had the same heartbeat and passion that I do. When, go back to my baseball analogy. Have you ever seen a game? And I saw this in, in a practice where everybody wanted to play first base. You got 15 boys standing over there trying to try out for first base and nobody else is in the field. There's something wrong with that picture if you go to a game with 15 first basemen. Right? And there's something wrong in the church if we all have the same gift and the same passion. God never designed it that way. God is a strategist. I heard a pastor say this the other day. God is an incredible strategist. And He doesn't add people to a church by accident. He adds you because there is a place and a ministry only you can fulfill. And when you fulfill it, it will grow in ways that, that I'm just blown away by that. And God is too. And actually, you will be too when God supernaturally works through you. Now, passion is God-given. This is on your listening guide. Passion is God-given. There is no right or wrong passion. And by the way, I'm not talking about your passion for your wife or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever that stuff is. That's, most of that is just, just infatuation anyway. Because after you get married, you know... I still love to see my wife. I still love to look at my wife. But, but you know, I don't get the butterflies in my stomach anymore when she walks in. Or she calls, you know, have the little unique phone um, call, the, the, the ringtone when she calls. And I know it's Janie. And, and I pick it up and I'm glad to talk to my wife. But, you know, it's not like the little butterflies go anymore. Um, when I'm talking about passion, I'm talking about something that gives you power. You have no passion for something. Your ministry will have zero power. You ever been in part of a ministry where the person leading it had no passion for it? It'll kill it. And God never intended it for it to be that way. I can sit up. I can talk for hours about this church and about what we're trying to accomplish. As a matter of fact, the first time uh, Matt came in to talk to me about it, we ended up talking for about two hours about what was going on. And, and he's going, man, that, that sounds kind of cool. I think I want to be a part of that. I'm like, dude, come on, come join us. There's something for you to do there. And we use Matt in a lot of videos. In fact, we're going to use him in one here in just a second. So just realize that you have you have an area that God's gifted you, but you also have an area that you're passionate about. Here's how that differentiates. I have the gift of teaching. That's my primary gift that God's given me. Now, if you have the gift of teaching, you may be passionate about children. Where should you be serving? With children. Now, I have a passion assessment at the back. And this is something that this is part of the homework that I want you to do. It's a front and back. And, and as you leave today, pick up a passion assessment because it's just going to ask you some questions about things that make your heart beat faster that you need to be involved in. And so you could have the same gift as somebody, but a different passion. Your passion um, determines uh, where you will serve. Your spiritual gift determines what you will do. Your passion determines where you will serve. Now, don't ignore your natural interests. These things motivate you to do certain activities and God has given you your, your interests as well. High achievers generally do what they love to do. And so we've got a video here that shows you someone who is in her passion area and someone who is not. 
In honor of the Olympics coming up in just a couple of weeks, we are staging our 10th annual NLCC Serving Olympics. Our first event is the Baby Changing Contest. I want to introduce you to our contestants, and then we'll talk about the rules of this contest. On this side, we have the young challenger who is lacking in experience, but not in confidence. And on this side, we have the ever humble champion, eight-time gold medal winner, Sandy Gleason. Sandy, shake hands with the young punk. Here are the rules. You must start from a seated position. Both hands on the baby wire. The baby, both hands on the baby wire. The baby must be changed completely in a timely manner. You notice that we have dolls. We used to have live babies, but because of the tragedy in 1978 and the lawsuit which followed, and we want to avoid any further litigation, we now use baby dolls. Do you understand these rules as I've presented them to you? Yeah, yeah. Contestants ready? Three, two, one. Change that diaper. Thank <laughs> you. 
No, it's not. Excuse me, excuse me. No, it's not. Judges. Judges. Yay. I'm sorry, dude. You've been this far. What? You've been this far. What? You're out of here. For what? It's just like the Olympics. It's just like the Olympics. Every time somebody gets disqualified, I only want that stupid diaper. Congratulations, champion, still victorious, Sandy Gleason. changing your child down there. That is not only Sandy's area of gifting. She is one of the most phenomenal people I've ever seen with children. When my kids were, were that size, um, they would not go to the nursery if anybody other than Sandy was there. Sandy has watched our kids um, in, at times when, you know, if you have young children, you know that it's hard to have time alone with your spouse and stuff like that. Sandy would watch our kids for two or three days when we would go to conferences or just go away for... Um, for a weekend together, and she's an incredible lady, and she is passionate about children. And so, not only is she gifted, she's passionate about infants. And I would say that we have the best child care anywhere um, in Palestine. That's not saying anything about anybody else. I'm, that's just saying that Sandy is phenomenal with children. And so, I trust her with my kids any day, because God has gifted her in that area. Now, God had a purpose in giving you your inborn interests, your emotional heartbeat, reveals a very important key to understanding God's intention for your life. God gave you your heart, but it is your choice whether you use that passion for good or for evil. You have the choice whether you're going to channel those things that God put into you um, to use to build up His kingdom and to leave a legacy, not only in this lifetime, but in the next lifetime, or you can choose to spend those things selfishly on, your, on you and others in your life. First um, Samuel twelve twenty says, serve the Lord with all your heart. Now, here's some questions. These questions are on your uh, passion assessment at the back that you can take. But here's some questions. If I could snap my fingers and know that I couldn't fail, what would I do? Just begin to think about that question. And maybe it gives you a clue to where you're supposed to serve. At the end of my life, I'd like to look back and know that I'd done something about and fill in the blank. Several years ago, Janie and I were sitting in a conference in Chicago, Illinois, And God just awakened in me a desire to build a church like I had not ever seen before. And it was a church that would reach out to people who were far from God. And so back in 97 is when the dream of this church began. And we didn't start this church until 2002. So God will give you a dream as you start thinking about what would I like to do something about? Whatever you feel is broken, maybe God has called you to fix it. If I were to mention your name to a group of your friends, what would they say you are really interested in or passionate about? At some point next week, probably I'll have another sheet of paper homework for you to take where you you go to friends, close friends of yours, and they do an observation of you. It was uh, about five years ago that I had Janie and two of my close friends do an observation assessment of my life. And the number one thing that all three of them put down that they thought I would be doing was be was uh, pastoring a church. That was before I, I was doing it. So that was kind of a wild thing to me. It was a confirmation that, that I was supposed to be doing this. So there's a worksheet back there. It's called a passion assessment. And take that and, and fill it out. And sign up for class 301 if you hadn't done that. Now, here's a prayer. I want everybody to bow your heads for just a moment and pray. I want you to consider praying this prayer silently as I pray it aloud. 
Lord, I commit to discover my spiritual gift and my passion so that I can make a difference in the world. Amen.